One of the most difficult meetings I ever face is when somebody comes up to me following one of our assemblies and says, Hey, Edwin, my son or my daughter wants to meet with you. And inevitably, it's going to be someone who's between the ages of 8 and 13 or 14, and they want to know, can I be baptized? And through my few years of doing this preaching thing, I've taken different approaches to this. There have been times when I would just ask a few simple questions, and if the child could answer it, I would say, go ahead, because I didn't want to be the one that told them no. Then there were other times that I would do my dead-level best to talk them out of getting baptized, because I certainly didn't want to be the person who let them get dunked under the water, but they didn't really know what they were doing, and so it wasn't doing, wasn't doing them any good. There are other times when I just turn to the parents and say, I don't know, you know them better than I do. What do you think? And try to force the parents to decide. And there are other times when I've come across little books that study guides that I could give the parents and say, well, study this with them and find out how that works. And no matter what choice I've made, and no matter whether I like being given the choice, it seems that forever the preacher is going to be the one that's asked to decide on these things. Well, instead of me deciding, I want to share with you from the Bible what we can learn about when I can be baptized. When is a person ready to be baptized? And I hope what we find out today is that in reality, there's not a different set of qualifications for children. The reality is, young people can get baptized at the same time as anyone else. But I'd like for us to take a look at Scripture and help us to understand how to answer this question. When can I be baptized? Would you bow with me before we look at that, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you, thankful that you sent your Son so that our sins could be washed away, so that we could be saved, that we could be forgiven and justified and redeemed and sanctified. We're thankful for your Word that helps us know how to serve you. Father, we pray especially for any here this morning that are considering submitting to you, that they will think seriously about what we study today. As they strive to answer the question, when can I be baptized? When am I ready? If there's anyone here today that is ready, Father, we pray that through this lesson, through the actions of members of this congregation, that their hearts will be pricked to want to submit to you, to become your child, and to be forgiven. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. All the way back in Numbers chapter 14, about verse 28, the children of Israel had refused to go into the promised land, and at that time God established an age of accountability regarding the sin. He said in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. In verse 31, he said, Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they'll know the land which you have rejected. For this particular sin, God said there's an age of accountability, age 20. If you were 20 and up, then they were accountable for this decision. I, I think in this particular scenario, the point being that because of their social structure, Children that were 19 years old and younger had no say in how the decision was made, and so they weren't held accountable. And we might try to turn to the New Testament and find a passage that is just as clear, and that, that would be nice, 
in some regards as we try to answer this question. If we could find a passage that said everybody from 20 years old and upward is accountable or everybody from 12 years old and upward is accountable. But what we find in Scripture is that regarding an age of accountability for sin in general, there is no specific age. Everyone develops differently. We can look in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 10, Romans chapter 9 and verse 10, it says not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand. It points out that children in the womb haven't done anything good or bad when they're born. They haven't done anything good or bad. They're not born in sin. We're not worried about their spiritual condition because they're safe. They are unaccountable even as they grow for some time. And we recognize that from Romans chapter 7. Paul demonstrates in his own life that he had a period in which he was unaccountable. Even though he was alive and he was growing up, he was not accountable to the law. You'll notice in Romans chapter 7 and verse 9, he said, I was once alive apart from the law. Excuse me, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. He said, I was once alive apart from the law. Well, what law is he talking about? Back in verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. Which law said, you shall not covet? Well, we know all that. That's the Ten Commandments. That's Moses' law. Was Moses' law in effect when Paul was born? Of course it was. So, Paul is not saying, I was alive and then all of a sudden God established this law and then I died. That law had already been established. His point was, there was a time in which he was alive and then something changed in him. The law became alive to him. He became accountable to the law. Something shifted. He then understood the law. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 provides an interesting marker in verse 15. It says, He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Here was a child that was going to grow, and there's a period of time in which he is unable to truly choose good and refuse evil. Now, we're not talking about a two-year-old who has learned if I stick my hand in the cookie jar, it's going to get smacked, so I don't stick my hand in the cookie jar. We, we can train animals to do that. The point is that he understood good and evil and made an intelligent choice considering what both of those were and chose evil instead of good. When does that happen? There's no set age. We don't set our 12-year-old, 364-day-old child to bed knowing that when they wake up in the morning, suddenly they've developed a sense of morality and understanding. That just doesn't happen. Everyone develops at different ages. Boys and girls develop differently. Girls and girls develop differently. Boys and boys develop differently. There are some people that never develop that because of mental deficiency. But it's at different ages. And one thing that I just want to start off is, we, if we understand that, to parents, I want you to think about this. 
if your child did not get baptized by the same age as little Susie, the world has not ended. We all want our kids to be exceptional. We all want our kids to be the best. And so we're all certain that our kids should have done it first, and it's just not true. Our kids develop at different ages and over different periods of time. I remember Tessa and Ryan both got teeth later than everybody else. All our friends, their kids had teeth way before my kids did. And their kids walked way before my kids did. And so, of course, oh man, we were just absolutely worried. Maybe something's wrong with our kids. They're not walking yet. And some older, wiser parents said, Edwin, every child develops differently. Don't worry about it. And lo and behold, my kids have teeth, my kids walk. It happened just like I was told. Everyone developed differently. And all three of them developed differently. And that's the way it is spiritually. There might well be some children that have developed a maturity by age 12. If your child hasn't, the world has not come to an end. Be thankful that they get to be innocent for a little bit longer than that other child. They all develop differently. But how can we know, as we consider that, how can we know when I can be baptized? I think that the model that we find in the Bible that helps us answer this question is found in the Sermon on the Mount. I know you're not surprised by that, because since we've done our fall focus, everything is found in the Sermon on the Mount. But I think that the first four verses of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, provides the model. And this is not just for young people. This is for everybody. When can I be baptized? When these four things apply to me, I can be baptized. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These four things, I believe, are Jesus' plan of salvation. And they tell us, if these four things apply to me, then I can be baptized. And I don't care if you're 8 or 80, if these four things apply to you, then you can be baptized. So let's examine these. The very first thing that you have to ask is, are you poor in spirit? When can I be baptized? First question, are you poor in spirit? We've studied this. We understand that the poverty of spirit here is an issue of absolute brokenness. A poverty that says, I can do nothing but come into the presence of God and beg for mercy. I have nothing that I can offer to God. I can't pay Him anything. There's no amount of work that I can do that causes Him to owe me salvation. I am poor in spirit. And I come into His presence begging Him for mercy. In fact, we can see a picture of it in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 13, we see the tax collector who, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's all you do. You just say, God, I need mercy. That's this poverty of spirit. But I want you to think about a few things that are requisite to this. How can I tell if I'm poor in spirit? First thing, do you know what sin is? If you don't know what sin is, you can't possibly be poor in spirit. Because if you don't know what sin is, you don't know if you've done it, and you don't know if you're separated from God. Do you know what sin is? This is important. Romans chapter 7. Do you remember what Paul said about when he died? When the law became alive. In Romans chapter 7, 
What shall, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. When did his death come? His poverty came? He knew what sin was. First John chapter 3 and verse 4 points out that sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just being unwise. Sin is not just slipping up. First John in chapter 3 and verse 4 says that sin is lawlessness. Do you understand that about sin? Do you recognize that sin is, here's God's law, and I violated it. He said I was supposed to do something, and I just flat didn't do it, because I didn't want to. He said that I am not supposed to do something, and I wanted to, so I just did it. Do you understand that that is what sin is? The second thing is, have you done that? Have you sinned? There have been folks that I have talked to. And I'll just ask them, well, have you sinned? What sins have you committed? I don't know. And now I recognize adults for folks that are my age and around that. We can't fathom that. But, but an eight-year-old, a lot of times, just doesn't know. Because they don't understand. And that's okay. That's okay. Have you done this? Can you look at your life? If you look at your life and say, you know what? I haven't sinned. I haven't fallen short of the glory of God. I, I, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. Well, then you're not ready to be baptized. And that's okay for young people because there's a period of time in which you're unaccountable and, and you're not expected to know and understand that. And that's all right. But I want you to understand this. A lot of times, uh, young people, you grow up in the church with, with parents that are talking about this and you hear sermons and every Sunday you hear you've got to be baptized, you've got to be baptized, and you want to be baptized. And you suddenly think, well, I'm not getting to participate in what everybody else is getting to do. But if you haven't sinned and we come up and we dunk you under this water, you didn't get baptized. You didn't do what everybody else did. You just got wet. If you wanted to do that, you might as well just go swimming. So have you sinned? Third question. Do you understand what sin has done to you spiritually? You see, it's different between saying, yeah, I've messed up, I've sinned, and being able to say, I recognize what that's done to me. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Our sins separate us from God. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our fellowship with God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And that death is a spiritual death, a separation from God that ultimately results in an eternity in hell. And so here's a very simple question you can ask. If you want to answer this question, do I understand what sin has done to you spiritually? If I died right now, where would I go? If you can say to that question, if I died right now, I would go to heaven, then, then you, you're not ready to be baptized. You don't need to be baptized. Baptism is not for people who are going to heaven. Baptism is for people who are going to hell. And if you look at your life and say, oh, no, 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 man, if I died, I'd, I'd go to heaven. And you don't need to be baptized. You're not ready to be baptized. I, I've sat down and talked with people. I asked them. I said, you know what sin is? Oh, yes. Sin is when you do something wrong that you're not supposed to do. Have you done that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I slapped my brother. Well, what would happen if you died? Where would you go? Would you go to hell? Oh, no. No, no, no. Of course not. I would go to heaven. Well, then you're not ready to be baptized. And... And that's not a bad thing. 
If you're going to heaven, baptism is for those who are going to hell. If you're going to heaven and you go up and we put you under the water, we didn't baptize you. We just got you wet. You didn't do what everybody else was doing. You're still missing out on what everybody else has done. So don't worry about that. If you're going to heaven, you don't need to be baptized. Now, by the way, I will say to some of the older folks who I know have grasped these first two questions, if you've done this and you know you've done this and you still think you're going to heaven, we'll talk about that in another lesson. But for young people, there's a point where you're unaccountable and you're not ready to be baptized if you're still going to heaven. And the final thing I want you to recognize here is that you can ask the question, do you understand that your sin means you have nothing to offer God? Do you understand that your sin means that you can't cleanse your own heart? Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say, I'm free from my sin, I have cleansed my heart? You can't do it. There's no amount of work that you can do that would cause God to now owe you salvation. Luke chapter 17 and verse 10 says that when all is said and done, no matter how much obeying you do from now on out, when you've done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves, we've done only that which we ought to have done. If you can understand that when I come to God and I am baptized, that God doesn't now owe me salvation, that I am asking for mercy, and God through His grace is going to save me, if you can understand that, then you're on your way to being ready to be baptized. So are you poor in spirit? Matthew 5 and verse 4 said, Do you mourn? Are you mourning? Some people, some people I know have been baptized to get their parents off their back. Some people because they're upset about something between them and their parents and they think that, well, this will fix it. Some because I did something really bad and now mom and dad are mad at me. If I get baptized, they'll forgive me. That's not this. You're not ready to be baptized if that's what you're thinking. You're ready to be baptized when you're poor in spirit, and because of your poverty in spirit, you're mourning that situation. You're mourning what's happened between you and God because of your sins. You're mourning the fact that you can't do anything about it. Are you sad because of your sins? I'm not asking, are you sorry that you got caught? I'm not asking, are you sorry that your parents punished you? I'm asking, are you sorry that you sinned? Do you wish you could go back and do it over? Do you wish you could go back and and just completely change it? Do you wish that from now on out you could do something completely different so that you could be that child of God that He always wanted instead of messing that up and disappointing Him? That's the kind of sorrow that Jesus was talking about there. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, Paul wrote about it. He said, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Do you have that sorrow according to the will of God that's producing repentance that's causing you to say, I want to be different? If you're able to say, I I am just sorry that I ever did that. I wish I hadn't. And again, it's not, I wish I hadn't got caught. But I realize that disappointed God, and I just wish I hadn't done it. And I want to do differently. Then you're on your way to being ready to be baptized. The third, beatitude. Blessed are the gentle. Now, young people, I'll tell you, even full-grown adults that have studied this passage for years struggle with what this gentleness, how to define it, what it means exactly. 
But for our purposes and understanding really what it means is the concept of I am willing to submit to Jesus' way instead of my own way. I am willing to be meek and humble and gently submit instead of bucking against His authority and doing what I want to do. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked a little bit more about that later. In Matthew 7, and verse 13 and 14, He said, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Are you willing to get on the narrow way? The difficult way? The way that all your friends aren't going to be on? You, you willing to do that? Then in verse 21 of chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform any miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Are you willing to do more than just say, Lord, Lord, but actually let him be Lord and tell you what to do? And then, beginning in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it didn't fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Are you ready to submit to what his word says? Are you ready to get into his word and study it and know what it says? Because if you're saying Jesus is Lord of my life, you've got to be willing to do that. Otherwise, he's not your Lord. But I want you to think about this. What does it take? To be ready to gently submit to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what it takes. It takes knowing who He is and believing. So what do you know about Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? In Luke chapter 3, Luke provided a genealogy. And it starts with Jesus and heads all the way back to Adam. And then in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38, we find out what the point of this genealogy was. He was the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. The Son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? But look in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And notice that it goes beyond just being the Son of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That Word is Jesus. We'll find out as we continue to read through John. But it points out that more than just being the Son of God, Jesus is the divine Word of God. He is the divine Word of God. He is God. It says the Word was with God. The Word was God. Now understand this. Jesus is not the Father. But Jesus is as much God as the Father is. And that's tough, and I don't expect you to be able to write a theological treatise about it, but just can you say that? Yes, I know that. Jesus is as much God as the Father is in the same way that you are as much human as your Father is. Jesus is God. He's divine. Somebody asked me, is Jesus God? I ought to be able to say, yeah, absolutely. He's not the Father, but He is God. But then we keep reading in John, and we come to John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know that? That the Word became flesh, that Jesus is one who was divine, who became flesh, who came to the world to live among us, to die among us? And then, as we read on in John 1 and verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you realize and know that Jesus came into the world in order to die in the world. He dwelt among us so that He could die among us. He lived with us so He could die for us. Do you understand that Jesus is the sacrifice? Remember, 
If you're already poor in spirit, you know, you can't do anything. You can't come to God. There's nothing you can do but ask for mercy. And so now you recognize that God extended His mercy by sending His Son Jesus to be that sacrifice, to take your sins away so that you could be cleansed because you couldn't do it. Do you recognize that about Jesus? And because of all this, do you recognize what Peter said about Jesus in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. The anointed one. The prophet, priest, and king. Who is Lord. Do you know what Lord means? Ruler. Governor. Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. Do you recognize that about Jesus, that He has all authority and we don't have any? Do you recognize about Jesus that Luke 6.46 says, How can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You see, that's the whole point of all this. When I know what Jesus is, that's when I'm ready to submit to Him because I know He's Lord. Because He is the Son of God, the divine Word of God, who became flesh to be the sacrifice for my sins. And He's now Lord in Christ. But, but beyond this, the issue is not just do you know it. Do you believe that? John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. In that context, He's referring back to John 8 and verse 12 where He said, I am the light of the world. But in that concept of light of the world is all this that we're talking about. Do you believe that about Jesus? Interestingly, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, Philip preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch, and in Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, the Ethiopian eunuch had the same question that we have. Can I get baptized? He said, look, here's water. What hinders me? He said, Philip, can I do this? And Philip said in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart. Do you believe with all your heart? And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe that? Then you're on your way to be ready to be baptized. There's one more of the attitude that I think we should notice. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, in our poverty of spirit, we became starved, and now we're hungry. Why do you want to be baptized? I know people that want to be baptized because their friends got baptized. I know people who want to be baptized because their parents told them they should. I talked with one fella who was way on up in his 50s and 60s before he finally admitted, he said, you know, the only reason I got baptized is because one Sunday night my dad pushed me out in the aisle and said, go do it. Parents, let me tell you, if you're doing that, you're not helping your kids. Why do you want to be baptized? Because your parents are mad at you, you think that'll calm them down? There's something going wrong in your family and you think that'll help? You just know you're supposed to because you've heard it in Bible class all these years? Or is it because you hunger and thirst for that righteousness that you lost when you sinned? And because of your poverty and spirit and brokenness, you recognize you need the mercy that Jesus offers. And that's the only way you can have the righteousness. See, I'll tell you what, it's very sad to me to see young people get baptized and nothing changes. Young people who said they were ready to be baptized, but they still goof off in the assemblies. They still draw, chat, visit, go to sleep. 
They still don't get their lessons prepared. They still don't read their Bibles. They still don't pray. They still don't spend regular time with other Christians. They still hang out with the same sinful friends. They're unwilling to tell their friends, that, hey, you know what, I don't participate in lasciviousness like school dances. They're unwilling to do that. Nothing changed. You see, the, the righteousness that we're talking about here goes beyond just getting baptized. It's, I'm ready to live rightly. I'm ready to do what Jesus said, because I want righteousness. I want to be that righteous child of God. And I'm ready to serve Him. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul said in verse 8 of Philippians 3, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, there is only one thing I want, and that I want Jesus' righteousness. I want the righteousness that comes by believing in Him and submitting to Him. That's what I want. And somebody says, yeah, but Edwin, there, there are no 12-year-olds that know that. Well, then there are no 12-year-olds that are ready to be baptized. You see, if I'm ready to be baptized, I am ready to participate fully in the worship assembly of the congregation. If I'm ready to be baptized, I'm ready to sit up, pray along, sing out, and listen attentively. If I'm ready to be baptized, I'm ready to be a participating and active part of any Bible class I am in. If I'm ready to be baptized, I'm ready to work through my lessons and participate. If I'm ready to be baptized, then that means I'm ready to worship God and study His Word and pray and sing with the grown-ups when we get together at somebody's house for a singing or a praying or a Bible study instead of going off in the kids' room to watch the movie. So you what, parents? You look at that child and think, when I go to the singing on on Friday night, I'm still going to send them off to the kids' room? No, they're not ready to be baptized. Because if they're ready to be baptized, they're ready to sing with you. If you are ready to be baptized, then you're ready to be a working part of the congregation. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be preaching a sermon next week or teaching a Bible class, but it does mean you'll be ready to accept assignments from elders and deacons and teachers and preachers and, and older Christians and say, you need to be doing this. If you're ready to be baptized, you're ready to stand up to the world and your friends and say, I am going to be the example of Jesus Christ. And I don't participate in these things. Not because my parents told me not to, but because I want to do what God says. When we're ready to be baptized, then we're ready to be Christians. Oh, and one more. When you're ready to be baptized, you're ready to treat your parents with respect and honor. Oh, I tell you what, it drives me nuts to see people get baptized and they still dis disrespectful their parents and adults. And if you're not ready for those things, then you're just not ready to be baptized. And it doesn't matter to me how old you are. 
If you're 50 and you're not ready for those things, then you're not ready to be baptized. And we can dunk you under the water, but it's not doing you any good. When can I be baptized? When I'm poor in spirit. When I mourn. When I'm ready to gently submit to Jesus. And when I'm hungry and thirsting for righteousness. As we wrap up, one of my big concerns about this is that if you're like me, you're looking back to when you got baptized and now you're wondering, man, I don't know. Was I poor in spirit enough? Was I hungering and thirsting for righteousness enough? Please recognize that as a Christian, you're supposed to grow. You don't get fully poor in spirit and now you're ready to be baptized. You don't fully hunger and thirst for righteousness and now you're ready to be baptized. You've started on that path and you realize you need something, you become a Christian, and now you're going to grow. And I'm not saying that you're not ever going to sin again, and I'm not saying that living that Christian life and doing that righteousness is, is not going to be difficult. It is going to be at times. But are you willing to fight that fight and start that growth process? And so for those who are looking back now and wondering, was I hungry and thirsting in righteousness, righteousness enough for it to count? I don't want to, That's not what this sermon has been about. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-8 through 8 says that we're going to grow in faith and knowledge and virtue. Guess what that means? That means if I am not more in poor in spirit today, 20 years after I got baptized, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to do. It's natural for me to look at it now and say, I wasn't near enough poor in spirit back then. Because I really wasn't. That's why I had to grow. But it was enough to become a child of God and start that process. The ones I'm talking to now, are those who haven't submitted to Christ and wondering, can I do it now? Are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning that? Are you ready to gently submit to Jesus? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Then you're ready.